All right. Well, hello there. Welcome to the Deadly Analysis Podcast. Uh, my name's Noah Adam. I'm here with my co-hosts, Ben and Shayra. And today we are going to be talking about and analyzing the eyes of my mother, but not the film. Like we're actually going to be talking about my mom and her eyes and like the color, the darkness underneath it. Those. Okay, I, got, I don't have problems. I, I don't know why I led that way. No, we're going to be talking about what is to me like a really messed up horror movie, very psychologically explorative horror film. Um, and that's the film, The Eyes of My Mother, not, not her actual eyes. Although, which is scarier? Anyway, this movie is directed by Nicholas Pesch, uh, and it tells the story of Francisca, played by Kika Magalis, um, who has essentially be, who has essentially been unfazed by death from an early age um, because of her mother, formerly a surgeon in Portugal, who imbued her with a thorough understanding of human anatomy. And so when tragedy shatters her family's idyllic life in the countryside, which is kind of code word for a serial killer, like stabs her mom to death in the tub, spoiler alert, uh, when this happens, her deep trauma gradually awakens what we'll say are some unique curiosities. And as she grows up, her desire to connect with the world around her takes a distinctly dark form. So I'll start the podcast this way. This movie should have been called Maladaptive, the story of Francisca, as told in three chapters. Um, this movie's like if Ingmar Bergman directed Texas Chainsaw Massacre. And my initial thoughts about this movie are, it's a lot like movies we've covered before on this podcast, like a bunch of them all combined. And I'm curious if you guys saw this as maybe a positive or a negative, all right? Like, so it has kind of like the monochrome visuals of Eraserhead, family dynamics of Texas Chainsaw Massacre with like an art house touch, like a girl walks home alone at night. It has all of these sort of like vibes. It's such a strange combination of like the beautiful and the profane and the stunning and the hideous. So I thought I would start the podcast off by posing a question to you. And that question is, if you had to choose an abductor, that is, let's say you know you're gonna get abducted and this person has the potential to abduct you and torture you and you got a choice, you, would you rather be abducted by Annie Wilkes from Misery, a princess from The Loved Ones, Asami from Audition, or Francisca in the eyes of my mother? Like a truly deep philosophical question here. And notice, by the way, these are all like women abductors and torturers. Like lest anyone say the horror genre is not open to the ideals of gender equality. In fact, I would actually argue that these choices are worse than Jigsaw. They are worse than the killers in Hostel or any of those guys. I mean, that's that's my opinion, but damn. I, I mean, I'd rather take Jigsaw than Asami from Audition. My God. But um, if you were going to get, yeah, get it, get it. If you were going to get abducted, who would you choose? You get to choose your abductor. Who do you choose? I am going with Annie Wilkes, without a doubt. I mean, that's that's honestly got to be the best setup. You know what I mean? It's like this nice, comfortable bed. She feeds you. And you know how much productive time this guy gets in? Like, through the, through the course of his abduction? Like, he sits there. He has to have written the total of at least, like, three books worth of material. You know what I mean? It's really not so bad. Yeah, she's got a little bit of a temper. You know, maybe she's a little bit uh, abusive, codependent at least she's not melting your brain with boiling water. You know what I mean? Like you can, you can live without your kneecaps, whatever. Actually, the thing is, is if you go with Annie, the other thing that comes from it is after you get out of the situation and write the story the way she wants it, I mean, you've become super famous. Someone tried to abduct you and make you write a certain story for them. You, all of your stuff is going to be huge after that. Like you're not, everything you write, even if it's garbage is going to, you know, everybody's going to buy it anyway. Cause they're like, oh, that's the guy who got kidnapped. He's probably all fucked up in the head now. I'm going to read his books. 
<laughs> yeah. I, now, the thing I'd be worried about, though, Ben, is that she would probably, for you, do more than break your ankles. I feel like she'd be giving you, like, here's how I want the book written. And then your response, because I know you, would be like, yeah, but that just doesn't jive with this character. Next thing you know, you're missing, you're like, fucking arms broke, your fingers are broke. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like if she made you, okay, Annie Wilkes tells you to rewrite the seventh seal, but it's like, it's like a Christian seventh seal and it has to have Christian values and ideals. And instead of like talking about like the wonders of like, instead of talking about the fears of death and all of that, it's about Jesus and it's about God. And it's about, it has all of the things that are antithetical to your own personal ideals, your ethics, your religious beliefs, and you have to do it. I can see you at least at some point saying, just maybe questioning Annie just a little bit and then losing more know. than just your ankles. What do you think? Maybe one time, you know, maybe you get that original kind of like test out there to see how well she takes it but you know frankly i mean she's putting me up she's giving me free food loading me up with painkillers you know i whatever it's all right i could do worse <laughs> fair enough francesca she was uh hooking her her chained up victims with food i mean she uh you know held them in her lap and and fed them delicious yeah, you know the human the parts i think is what they're <laughs> hinting at and is that was that cannibalism that they were like she feeds the the trapped up people uh, human flesh is that what it was hinting at i maybe i think didn't really I, I think that's i think that's what was insinuated yeah. yeah yeah okay so i wasn't i wasn't reading it wrong art house can be very confusing to me at times so <laughs> they like cut here cut there cut this and i'm like am i supposed to you know interpret it this way because she did grab the dead rat and then he was eating after that and i yeah. assume she's feeding him a dead rat so mm. Yeah, hey, she's doing her best, man. Make do with what you got. Uh, what do you What do you think, Shara? Who would you who who who's your who's your abductor? Who's your torturer? That's a good argument for Annie. I, I'm I'm a fan of this. I get it. I I mean, it's so hard because I think in audition you don't really have a chance of survival. Um, I think you're dead, and like that piano wire scene is not okay. I'm I, if I ever had that's worse than getting hit with a sledgehammer. I think slicing with a piano wire. No, uh, need, so needles in the eye too. Remember? I, <laughs> no. Mm -mm. Um, uh, and the loved ones. Here's my question about Princess. Does she boil everyone's brains, or is if a guy like goes, oh, "Okay, yeah, I, I love you. Let's let's settle down. I'll act just like your daddy." Is she gonna all of a sudden be like, "I'm not gonna put you in my torture," you know? I don't think so. I think she does it to everybody um, because there was a there, there was a bunch of bunch of dudes down there, and I'm sure at least one of them all probably said what she wanted to hear. But I think that's her thing, right? Is that they're never really her dad. They're never really good enough. They're never really her dad. Her dad is who she really wanted. Uh, it's so it's so troubling. It, is. Uh, <laughs> it totally is. It's a fucked up question. It's a fucked up question to consider. Yeah, but like, I mean, if I'm gonna get my brains boiled no matter what, then that's really not a good road to go down, right? And then you know. Uh, having your eyes gouged out and not being able to scream kind of gave me some motel hell uh flashbacks you know or they're just like their heads are out of the ground going <laughs> i was like I, I really think that I, I think i already read about this being the truth but i think as a film student uh this director just wanted to give shout shout outs to like everything he's ever seen and it kind of became a blended thing of all these things that are pretty awesome so i i saw a lot of different horror movies when watching this um but i i don't like the idea of having no no ability to talk and no ability to see so i think annie's really the only way to go because you don't want boiled brains you don't want to be dead hmm. 
you don't want to be blind and, and incapable of talking. So. so we have so we have two for Annie. So let me give you my answer. I would not choose Annie. I'll tell you why. Um, I would rather be abducted and tortured by Francisca of all of those people from the eyes of my mother. I, I'm totally serious. Okay. And, 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 and my, and my reason is like super hetero, super hetero. Right. Um, and you that is, she was uh, hot? well, that's one reason I'm a sucker. I'm a slave to my, you know, to my things. I can't, I, like, I, I can't help it. I'm a slave to my passion. So I would say like, all right, here's the way I look at it. Francisca allows me to be alone. Most of the time. I dig that. Um, she doesn't damage my mind. So that's kind of good. She doesn't like bore a hole in my head and give me a lobotomy like a princess. Um, she occasionally likes to do the horizontal mambo. I'll take it. Um, you know, uh, she's cool though with her captors. I'm just saying. She's the only one as far as I know. Um, she feeds you pretty regularly at times. She bathes you. She sings to you. That was kind of cool. Um, at least two of Maslow's hierarchy of needs are met with Francisca is what I'm saying. So princess, on the other hand, she's going to lobotomize me, throw me in a pit with a bunch of other lobotomized dudes, and then I got to be around people. I don't know what I'm looking at some lobotomized. Uh, don't even get me started with Asami from audition. That's the worst option imaginable. Um, Annie Wilkes is going to break my ankle. She's going to make me type shit every day. She's anxiety to me. That is stressful. I'd rather like that is so stressful. The idea of Annie Wilkes is the most stressful option to me. Like Wait, so, I so the thing that upsets you the most is having homework. It, oh my god totally totally like I, I i can take losing my sight losing my voice just feed me sing me some lullabies and bang me every once in a while i'm good i just don't want the stress of having to type shit out every day if i don't type it right my legs get broke my ankles get snapped like that's so psychologically horrifying to me like i couldn't i couldn't function that way i'd rather just not have a voice be like oh nobody wants to hear me talk anyway you know just keep to myself feed me sing me lullabies i'm good I'm dead serious. So that's my choice. I would choose Francesca. Um, oh. Yeah. Yeah. She's my girl. Uh, it, it has girls go for tortures and, and yeah, captors. Yeah. yeah. Um, so let's, let's talk about loneliness, that fun, wholesome topic. Um, so to like, to what extent do you think that loneliness, loneliness played a role in, in Francisca's aberrant development in comparison to say like familial connection or the trauma of, of her mother being murdered? So in other words, like, which do you think fucked her up more? The social isolation aspect, the familial relationship with her mom and her dad, or just the trauma of of like her mom dying? I know all of those things are super important, probably all played a big role. But I think like I would argue the trauma of her mother being murdered and then how her father handled <laughs> the murder and subsequent raising of Francisca was the, really the primary catalyst for like how she became who she became. Um, before this, I think it's safe to say that she had like a very odd interest in death and surgery, but we could at least maybe chalk that up to like her mom's influence, right? Like she looked up to her mom as a surgeon. Um, but when her mom was killed, it sort of like, it sort of like froze things in place. Like it froze her, her ethical and her social growth. And they, they kind of ended there. You know what I mean? Like her dad clearly didn't want to help her grow as a person or develop in any way, shape or form. He clearly just like wanted to be out of the picture for whatever reason. We really don't, don't know very, it follows by the way, like parents are gone. Even if they're there, they're, they're away. They're not doing the work they need to do. Um, and so I think I think this fact mixed with like maybe a proclivity towards psychopathy led Francisca to kind of like freeze, completely freeze in, in her development. And so like it's interesting to think about social isolation, familial damage and trauma, all things that happen in the real world to real people as potential catalysts for aberrant behavior. Um, so I, I think it gets even more interesting when 
like none of these things occur, but the person still ends up turning out to be a psychopath or a sociopath. So think of like, we need to talk about Kevin movie like that. where like nothing really bad. Like in this movie happens to the person, but they end up having aberrant uh, behavior and end up, you know, murdering essentially. Um, uh, and maybe the more dark comedy version of that is excision, which is another awesome film we've covered. But um, like, where do you guys land in this? Like, to what extent do you think loneliness did the work here? here? Here's the thing about this, and it's actually kind of like a unique sort of thing about this movie that I found pretty interesting, is that you really don't see much of the downtime. You know, I mean, like, they, they do their best, I think, to show a very particular side of the character development of um, uh, Francesca. Right. I mean, like you only kind of see the um, the inflection points in her like life where the trauma is, um, you know, of course, like the death of her mother, the death of her father, uh, like the uh, keeping of like this child whenever she kind of like gets a little bit too lonely or what, you know, what I mean, it's like um, you, you kind of like only see these points when she's getting herself into um, some kind of like dangerous behavior or she's getting caught. And so it's really hard to say the what the effect of loneliness actually would be except in the expression of her saying you know i don't want to be alone anymore you don't see the alone time you just see kind of like these points in which she's interacting with other people and it goes badly and so i think it's really easy to say well it's clearly because of this trauma um uh because i mean especially if you, if you compare it to a movie like babadook where at the end you kind of have the mother who has sort of figured out how to balance herself with her trauma but still kind of keeps it in the basement it's down there you got to pay, pay attention to it every now and again well that's kind of how i saw her keeping the guy that killed her mother you know i mean it's like it's there it's in the back of your mind she's feeding it she's keeping it she's taking care of it um and in in the analogy that we see about eyes it's like that event becomes the lens through which she sees the rest of her experience. And so it's because of that, I think that the loneliness is able to do the work is because she's focusing the loneliness through a particular lens. Yeah, totally. There's a lot of this film about what you don't see. There's, you know what I mean? A lot of this is what's off screen. We don't see your mom actually die. We just see the aftermath of it. There's a lot of this stuff in here that is you just have inference to what is going on and you just see the aberrant behavior that takes place after, which I th which is obviously done on, on purpose, but it does make you, yeah, it does make you think about those things. Yeah, I mean, like, even to that point, too, even the violence, when when we were talking about this and leading up to this podcast discussing this movie, you know, Noah, you positioned it as being potentially, like, more violent even than Antichrist, which we always also reviewed. Um, incredibly focused in its violence, Antichrist is, and so <clears throat> the limited scenes with which you actually have real violence, it's incredibly potent. I think this movie is actually a little bit more Hitchcockian in that, in that you don't really, I think, if, if I'm remembering it correctly, I mean, because it feels very violent. But I don't think you actually see the violent parts. It's like even even when she's like stabbing that woman, you kind of hear what's going on. You sort of see her moving around. You don't really see a wound. You don't see a lot of blood or you know anything like that. You know, you don't see her doing the surgeries. You just sort of see the after effects of the surgeries, et cetera, et cetera. So I think it's it's really interesting, yeah, because I mean it is doing a huge amount of work off screen, making you feel things and thinking they're there, if even if they're not like visually depicted. Um, it's very kind of a cool trick that they're able to do. That's one of the things that it makes things more violent because your own imagination's more fucked up than whatever they could put on the screen. Um, one of the things I like to watch is the Jallo horror. You get a lot of just visceral blood and chopping of bits and pieces off of people, just very, very violent, and it, and it can be quite fun. Of course, a lot of people think that it's very misogynistic, but you know, I, I have a lot of fun watching those ultra violent movies. But I certainly felt 
way more uncomfortable when she's holding Charlie and stabbing him. You don't see the stabs. You even are wondering, is she stabbing him? I think he's, I think he's getting stabbed. I think she, 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 oh, <laughs> you know what I mean? And the way they build up to it, you know, where you're like almost inside the house watching him trying to figure out how to get away. But when you're blind, uh, I don't know if you guys know about this issue when you can't see, uh, you think that you're walking a straight line, but you're actually doing a weird um, like snail shell little mm. pattern. Um, your your brain can't fathom that you're walking, you know, the right direction because you can't see. So I think what was happening was he was just wandering around out in the yard because he can't walk a straight line. So they knew to depict that and show her kind of creepy deeping on him, like. <laughs> yeah, just slowly sort of walking out. It's so <laughs> creepy, like the build up to it, the suspense of it, and then there's no payoff, if you will. But it's so much more fucked mm. up in a way. So yeah, I, I think showing it that way, it did make it more violent, right? It almost made yeah, it more intimate, too, weirdly. In a, in a way, yeah. I mean, it's like it's very calm and very cold and like you don't get a lot of reaction out of her. And that's that's supposed to be the point, right, is that her reactions to these kinds of violences, much like the surgeries, is just completely flat. Um, and I think, yeah, that definitely does emphasize it in the same way that it did in like a, in House That Jack Built. It's like where where he's able to kill and it's just not... You know, I mean, there's not like a whole lot of music or soundtrack around it. It's just that he does this thing and they're dead now. Um, and it makes it seem so much more extreme. Yeah. And I remember telling you um, like, hey, like we're going to do the eyes of my mother and it's up there with Antichrist. And I when I said that, I hadn't seen the movie in like years. And so oh, wow. when I, yeah, so I did. But it, that's what I think this movie does to you is that like it makes like I remember it being ultra violent. But then when I watched it this time, I was like, well, not really. I mean, it certainly feels you're, that's a great way to put it. It feels very violent, but visually it's nowhere near a lot of the stuff that we covered, um, which is very interesting. I mean, I think that speaks to how well it 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 uh, the way it dances around the violence, violence hints at it, uh, makes you feel it without seeing the knife go in, which I think is a skill in and of itself, you know? The main thing that terrified me about this movie, the, the, the fear that it picked out for me, um, because of her isolation, because of her being raised by a father who wasn't really there, she was obviously antisocial and had behavioral issues. So when she's interacting with two of the main women in, in the movie. Um, you could tell that the women are uncomfortable. You can tell that everything is firing off in their mind that something is off here. They should probably not be interacting in this way. You could tell that they were, everything was going, no, 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 go away. But part of the problem with this country, and I, I noticed it's in this freaking country because other countries don't have this bullshit, is these pretend behavioral like politenesses that we're supposed to do to complete strangers for no fucking reason at all. They, they didn't earn our trust to hold our babies. They didn't earn our trust to go to their house alone at night, but yet we're going to do it because, you know, they, they, they seem like they're trying to be nice, pe normal person people. Like, no. It's very creep. It's very like creep, creep too. Remember, this is what we explored in creep too. Where's the line, right? Yeah. And, and that was what's so weird is having the woman be that person, right? Because a lot of women feel like they can be comfortable around women, but these women were even like, this girl is a little weird. <laughs> like, I don't know how I feel about her. Um, the kissing scene, 
was super uncomfortable. I I've never felt no, so speak uncomfortable. For, speak for yourself. I was. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it was so awkward. But you're right. Like, like she had a very flat affect, Francisca, throughout throughout social component throughout social moments where she should have been a little more um i don't know more <laughs> more socially adept if, if she yeah. was somewhat like like her like the the woman who was there with her that night she seemed like she was like trying to make conversation and this is kind of weird but you know maybe this person doesn't get out much you know she was doing the work right she was very yeah. patrick bryce in creep right <laughs> yes it, it did give those vibes except the cut once again the edits you know she's just like no nah, you know I, I think i gotta go i, I gotta go cut cleaning some stuff off of the floor that's right <laughs> that's like, right and i had to rewind it because i was like did i miss something <laughs> okay we'll see i mean do you, of course we, we've been talking about this and i think we've been uh sort of lauding it as sort of like a good thing but i mean do you feel like you're sort of satisfied by that depiction of that type of depiction in, uh, in a movie of violent acts like because i mean if, if you don't really i don't know because the subtlety is good but i think what really marks that as like a good technique is if when it happens and you get what's happened, like it still hits you the same way. So yeah. if you kind of see it and you're not a hundred percent sure what happens, is that kind of like an error? Is it a flaw in the movie or is it just know. because it's. Because like what I honestly did, I, I rewound it and then I rewound it again. And the thing is, is I saw where the blood is, but she mm -hmm. was over by the door. That means that she must have been chasing her around the kitchen. Maybe some weapons were half like what? And so you start to try to fill in the blanks was something way more fucked up than they probably could have come up with. And then I'm like, you bastards. <laughs> you are making me so morbid. I'm watching this movie and imagining, you know, how I would have played out the between part. That's so messed up. Yeah, like, and, you know, the film does give you, I, it's interesting because it, it does give you, like, maybe one or two very small sequences where she's violent, when she kills uh, her mom's serial killer, and she stabs him, and even then she has flat affect, you don't see the knife go in, um, and it's more poetic than anything else. I, so, personally, I liked not seeing that woman die. I like the implication because, I, I'm, I'm trying to figure out why, I think, I think it, when I think of like the flat affect of Francisca, it would be strange for me to see her just slicing and dicing. It's scarier for me to have it implied and let my brain go, what a damn, like, you know, and she's just cleaning with the same flat affect she has throughout the entire film. So that is an unsettling feeling as opposed to like the, oh my God, of ultra violence that we may be seeing. I, I like the unsettling nature of that a little more. And that's not always the case. Sometimes a nice good stabbing is is right what we need in a horror film but i think this this did it just right to me it, it hit yeah hit my palate the right way I, i'm not crazy but um yeah i don't know so, we, I, sherry you went to why this movie scares you let me tell you why it scares me and let me bounce these ideas off you because i want to know if maybe you guys feel the same way i think you will about one of these things i don't know about the others so um this was my selection i'm going to tell you why this movie unsettles me and it, it unsettles me way more the second time watching it than it did the first um the first is one, one of the things we covered already which is isolation right but when we un when we unpack what that means in this movie like francisca has no idea that her actions are abnormal she has no true reference uh, for like normality because she's been pretty much isolated her whole life, right? Like um, she's the female equivalent of those brothers in the X-Files episode Home, 
right? Or they've just been isolated, except like she's like cute and she's not inbred. So that, I don't know if that works. But like this, the you can sense the isolation in her when she goes to the bar, she brings that woman home. And when they get back, the scene where they're walking in specifically, there is a massive contrast in their body language. It's so striking if you go back and watch that scene and I'll add it here to this video, but like Francisca's arms are very stiff. They're at her side. She's very mechanical when she walks. And this is in contrast to the other woman who's just like normal body language. So this is your home's really nice. And she's just trying to vibe, right? But not Francisca. Um, and uh, there's a couple scenes where Francisca dances in this movie. And when she does, you get the idea that she knows what dancing means, but doesn't have like any real reference for doing it. It's very um, ingenious the way they did that. She's just kind of like, she dances how you would think somebody would if they just knew what dancing meant but didn't have any reference point for doing it. It's like me when I try to dance to 50 Cent in the club or something. Yeah, you can tell I'm completely socially isolated most of the time and I have no idea what I'm doing. So, I mean, I think what scares me off the bat is like that component of isolation that it, it, it sort of like, it results in no real frame of reference or any, any sort of normalcy for the person. Um, the second reason this movie scared me is the familial aspect of it. You get the sense at a certain point in this movie that Francisca's just basically her entire thing is she's trying to recreate the family unit. Right. Places her father, dead corpse at the dinner table after he's dead. She bathes him. She steals uh, a child. That's not her. She digs up her mom, uh, says, I'm lonely. I wish you were here. She her only friend is the serial killer who killed her mom. So like she's trying to recreate her family unit by way of a very aberrant necro familial and probably very psychopathic persona. Right. But she doesn't seem to know any better. Maybe you guys, maybe this is a point of contention, but to me, she doesn't seem to know any better. She has no reference for what normalcy is. And in that sense, it reminded me a lot of Yorgos Lanthimos's film Dogtooth, where you have uh, like children in this family that are raised in total isolation and they don't know it. And they're taught that words mean radically different things than they do socially. So the whole movie's kind of like the whole movie Dogtooth is kind of like the very end of Pontypool, right? Which we, we've covered in this podcast. Kiss means kill. Um, couch means toothbrush, sex means pumpkin. That's what they're taught, right? So this film reminded me of that a little bit. It reminded me of Dogtooth in terms of like the radical lack of socialization, right? And I think that's important, right? The, the, there's, there's no social frame of reference to Couch Francisca's fractal self. In other words, she has no, Francisca has no idea who she is as a person in light of social categories like being a student maybe, uh, a friend, a confidant, a girlfriend, right? None of that is in Francisca's world because she's only ever known like three or four people. And that's some horrifying shit. It's like the horrors of what that can do to a person. Um, so basically, I, I guess what I'm saying is don't homeschool your kids. That, that's clearly what follows from this. Clearly from this movie, that's what follows. The other movie that's kind of like that is Blue Lagoon. I know that's such a random thing to bring up, but um, these children that are on an island and their father figure dies when they're so young. So they're having to learn about all of the th including like starting your period by just like existing and you think about it like i'm sure that she had a similar problematic childhood of of not understanding what certain things are just because her dad wasn't very very available so i don't know it's it's it just seeing how she was trying to kiss that other girl like it's it's very clear she isn't really had that much experience but she's had to have some experience because i think she's been chopping up people for a while for uh Charlie well, she's, prob she's probably also been kissing, practicing kissing on the serial killer that she has. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Yeah. Which is, yeah, which is another reason why it's my choice. But 
I, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. So I think, but I, yeah. I mean, I think that follows too. Hmm. I mean, I think like the the crazy thing about this to me, and and thinking about that moment, like you were just talking about, where she is expressing like I, the desire to to have her mother. Like, what's what's so cool about that scene is that she's expressing something very real and very relatable. I think, and like you know, if you think about a single mom who wouldn't doesn't have her mother to ask all these like questions and stuff. Um, that seems like a very real emotion that somebody would actually have. And you might even go to their gravesite and express that and cry and be there. It's just like you, she goes that extra step, you know, it's, it's like a little too, you know what I mean? It's like, that's the piece that I think is, you know is really sort of telling step? of her personality. Go ahead. You know who else went the extra step? Uh, Adam's family at the end of the original Adam's family movie from the nineties, they were all digging up family members as a, as a fun family event. Yeah. You got to find certain family members, dig them up, you know, say hello. So maybe that's yeah. on par with Adam's family. And if we had the right kind of music and candor, then it would just be a funny family film. This well, there you go. Yeah, it's fun. all about the framing. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and isn't there, isn't there like actually at least one culture that who does that today? Don't there's a there's a culture that digs up their dad and props them up for like once a year or once every maybe every five years to celebrate their life. And they actually take the corpses out of the ground and do that. I'll see if I can find the information on it. But yes. I. It's remember, not the Day of the Dead, is it? It's not the Mexican Day of the Dead. Like, I don't think so. I, I think I, I don't think so. Um, I think it's something different. But I've seen um, pictures of it in like Nat Geo or something. I was watching something that had that, and it was recent, so I know it exists. I'll see if I can add it to the to the actual um, to the video here. You were and... right, Ben. It can be very wholesome. You know, yeah. it's just that maybe culturally for us, we see that as uh, not quite right. But I mean, think about um, Irish wakes. You know, you have the body in the middle and everybody's drinking and like, hey, <laughs> you know, it's and some people might look at that and go, that's really sick. But others are like, hey, I got to have one last party with them. Come on. Dra drag me to hell, man. Remember, they're all having the party yeah. and the body falls on what's her name and lands on her, rips off her hair and they're all eating and drinking. <laughs> totally. It's in a lot of movies we've covered, dude. This is, this is, yeah, this is, this is totally normal. This is an aberrant. What's aberrant is burying them, clearly, you know? Ben, you've, you've, you've hit the nail on the head with this one. I don't think that's where you're yeah. going, but I'm going to take that as what you were saying. Uh, yeah, totally. I'll take credit for that. I'll, yeah, for sure. Exactly what I meant. We're going to normalize that part, because honestly, that makes a lot of sense, too. If she doesn't have any social or cultural background on stuff, she would never know that that's something that's, you know... Taboo, here. totally. It's like, just her mom, you know. The other, the other thing about that too, what's what's crazy is that by by the time we get to that point where like, little Antonio is kind of like grown up, you've had this huge time skip. And I mean, of course, you get that from from child to to adult Francisca, and then from like adult Francisca to mother Francisca. Um, but in this particular point, it seems like maybe she's done a little more healing. And I, I don't know. I don't know if that's right, because like, clearly she still is keeping a person out in the barn that has no eyes, you know. So, I mean, like, it's all relative, I suppose. But, I mean, she seems like a completely normal mother who misses her own mother and kind of, like, wants this feedback. And, like, there's just so much normalcy and realness at that point. It's just kind of, like, too late because she's already sort of, like, fucked, her, fucked up her life because of, like, the, the trauma that's kind of, like, led her to make crazy decisions. Um but I mean, that's it gets so relatable and, and like you start to feel so much empathy for this person, I think, by the end. Um, I don't know. And and that I think it, it, whatever there's something in there that shows a lot of character growth um, and something that allows her to work through that trauma, like something happens there. Maybe I can't really put my finger on it, but she does seem to get better by the end. And for some reason, in my opinion, I, I think that so I would have felt that way more if. 
she had done if she had killed the mom because to me so there's two ways to look at this right i, I guess maybe I, let me fight myself here let me think about out loud so um when she has the child there's a sense in which she's recreating the family unit but now she's the mom and she has a, a kid but it seemed to me that that if that was done successfully and she really felt the 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 work that that does to have a kid she wouldn't need that woman in the barn anymore but she keeps that woman in the barn which is strange to me i don't know if that's like a flaw in the movie or or if that's the part of the cycle that she just can't get out of that's that's all she knows is to have a friend in there always i mean i don't know if it's like a backup maybe i don't know i just it would have made more sense to me if she goes, I don't need that person anymore. I now have this. I brought this child into the world in her own mind, you know? For sure. I mean, like, I, I do see it as probably it's supposed to be a metaphor if you're, like, carrying the baggage of trauma. But, you know, yeah, from a narrative perspective, I think what you're saying probably makes sense, you know? Yeah, but, uh, yeah, yeah, but you're right, though. I think there is a... Yeah, I mean, she still, at the end of the movie, has kind of a flat affect, but there's a glow, like a motherly, like, I've seen a little more of the world now sort of thing. Right. Like, she's had a new experience, but I think that goes back to, like, the idea that this is a per this is the homeschool analogy. Like, she's had a new experience now out in the real world, essentially. She stole, I mean, it's a terrible experience. She stole a child, but she's raising a child, and she now has a, a whole new fractal self. She's the mom, Francisca, now. Um, so she has an entire new fear to incorporate into her into her life and so i think what you're seeing and what you're feeling is like growth i totally agree totally. with that yeah. yeah i mean like you, you get that too because she's telling the child at the very end of the movie you know there's things you're going to learn about me i don't want your opinion of me to change um and that sort of suggests that the kid has grown up completely absent of all this like weird stuff you know what i mean it's like she hasn't passed on this lens of viewing the world to her own child which I think is kind of like the ultimate victory there is that you know, if, if you sort of follow the uh, the movie into its like very obvious depths, I think that that's kind of like the, the best possible outcome is that she doesn't pass that on. Although I, it seems like I, I obviously she gets caught. So, so that's what I was going to say. That's what I was going to say. Until <laughs> I am right there with you until the fucking end. And then and the end is the last. So that this this segues into the last. And I think the most potent thing in this movie that scared me. It's a perfect place to, to, to jump on at this point. And that is that this movie is like a reminder about how familial norms can become like ritualized and ritualistic. So when we think of Francisca, she's kind of a broken record in a lot of respects. She watches all of the same movies over and over again. She listens to all of the same music. She eats dinner in the same chair. She plays with her serial killer buddy that she's had locked up year after year up until she doesn't need him anymore, I guess. Um, but, but you can kind of see the leftovers of like what um, her parents left in her lap, like coping mechanisms, interests, and an overall kind of interpretation of the world. And in that sense, I think, not to always go back to this movie because it scared the shit out of me, but in that sense, it kind of goes back to like hereditary, that it has us consider ide the idea that we're never really the product um, or that we are the product of those before us. We're never truly our own thing all the way down and that our parents have no matter what, like a very powerful um, influence over us, be it environmental, genetic, or, or even the complete absence of them from our lives. That plays a role too. So, you know, like I, for me, I don't like the thought of that. Like that thought in a horror movie scares me. It, it really does. It just bothers me to watch that cashed out in different ways. And, you know, I, I feel like this film also is just like, like, it, it, it reminds you of how easy it is maybe to warp the mind of a young person in their impressionable years. And uh, we see this in the very last moment of the movie where it's implied that Francisca's son Antonio sees his mom die. 
just like she saw her mom die, right? You hear the gunshots, the movie ends, and that familial ritual has ostensibly come to pass again. So like the trauma of watching the parent be killed is repeating itself. So that part, I guess, that, I guess it's, it's that ritualistic component that it's reminding us can happen so very easily that is like really the main reason this movie scared me. So we, we, we start the movie where, where the trucker comes across the mom that had been trapped in the barn then we, we come back to that again. Um, and then it you know, cuts to the cops coming there. And all I can think of is how difficult it must have been for her to figure out how to communicate with the cops, what had happened, what to have, to, what's gonna be happening there, where it was at, yeah. um, how to find it, like uh, the difficulty of that situation. Um, them now she didn't been but she didn't so hey can, maybe you guys can answer this for me she didn't cut out their eyes it looks like she just sewed them shut did you get that vibe too oh i don't know they were really like swollen Puffed. things yeah. so i don't know if they were missing or if she just did things to them to make it so that they couldn't see anymore i'm not sure maybe the I eyes were in there if you think about it from like a uh hmm. I don't know if if you really think about the original kind of lesson that she was taught about, like taking out the eyes and then cutting into the eye and taking out the lens. I feel like if there were if she was going to be a serial killer, like that would be the ritual. You know what I mean? How we always talk about like there being see their uh, lens. Course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to see I mean, that's from their perspective and well, blah blah blah. Yeah, exactly. Like however you want to like frame it or whatever. But I feel like that would be the thing that she would keep repeating. Would be like that thing that she learned from her mom. That's a good point. You know what I mean? That's a yeah, that's maybe. a good point. Yeah, like Maybe at a certain point. They were sewn because the eyes are missing now, and so she sewed, sewed that area I mean, like, up. She she's clearly has to be talented at like mending wounds because you got to think that you know she's stabbing people lethally. It seems like she stabbed uh, what what's her name that uh, Antonio's actual mom, uh, Lucy or something like whatever. Whoever oh, she yeah. is, it's like she, she got like stab. a kidney shot in there. You know what I mean? And that's that will kill somebody. But somehow she's managed to sew this person up, stop that bleeding, remove the throat, you know, take care of the eyes, I guess, like maybe take out the tongue or something like that, you know, and, and this person is still alive after all of that. So, you know, clearly she's got some ability to kind of like put that stuff back together and stop bleeding and whatnot. Some actual surgical skill, if you will. Guys, those Portuguese fucking surgeons, man, they know how to do it. <laughs> They know how to do it. Jesus. Yeah. Um, I mean, at a, at, a, at a certain point in this movie, Francisca's mom, I don't know if you guys recall this, when uh, one of the few early scenes, Francisca's mom tells Francisca uh, the story of St. Francis. Um, and in that story, she tells her daughter that he died of an eye condition that also caused psychosis. You remember that? Um, so that made me wonder, like, to what extent, since we're on the topic of eyes, like, to what extent the film connects the visual that is what we can see directly with our eyes with psychosis or with madness, like how those things are connected in the movies. When you think about our eyes, our vision, it's our, like, immediate way of interpreting the natural world, whether we like it or not, right? The idea is that we have this piece of machinery that can malfunction and can cause, in some instances, like in the instance of St. Francis, um, mental and cognitive impairment. Um, so, that, I mean, that's first off, that's, uh, that thought is utterly horrifying in and of itself, um, that you can have that apparatus go haywire, and it's, in, it's not even your brain, it's your eyes, and that can fuck up essentially your cognition. And I think it's one of like the, it's, it's one of the major points in this movie that's danced around a bit is the eye, the eyes of my mother, the cow's eye, St. Francis, who's Francisca, St. Francis died of an eye condition, also caused psychosis. Like the eyes are really everything. Perspective is really everything. There's a lot of that in this movie dancing around. I feel like there's a lot of meat there. Um, 
Yeah, so I thought I'd just throw that out there. Like the role of the eyes in this, um, connecting the visual with psychosis. Like how do you guys see these as being connected in the movie? Well, I mean, I definitely think that's that's sort of like the the, the thread there is that, you know, of course, uh, Francisca's mother kind of like passed on this sort of trauma, sort of like set the perspective, set the lens by which she's able to see the world. But like because of that perspective, she does end up being kind of like this twisted and sort of like psychotic person uh, who – um, kind of like works through her own trauma and sort of deals with the world in ways that are completely like non or are maladaptive, you know? I mean, I think like w when you really sort of think about that thread, I mean, that, that seems like the clearest sort of like central most, um, I think like potent message to me. Um, but also kind of like the, the, the real weight of that is like what you were talking about, how there's kind of like no choice about it. That's just sort of forced on you. It's like, it's not really your job. You have no formative control over the lens through which you're going to see the world it's just something that happens to you in a sense and by the time you become aware of it you know it's it's kind of already there right um so yeah i mean like thinking about sort of like the existential dread of that and like how there's really sort of like no way to escape that i think what's really interesting there is that it's, it, it sort of implies that this this entire string of events from this man coming and attacking her family all the way to the very end, like none of it can really be said to be her fault. Like, I think there's like, there's an interesting sort of like multiple moral culpability question there. Um, which of course, like, I, I think that's going to immediately clash with a lot of people's ideas about retributive justice and like what it means for like free will and stuff like that. But I think really kind of like the implication there is like when you pass on this, this lens for viewing the world to a young person, um, you're the one that kind of like determines in a way the course of their life and the actions even to an extent that they're going to take. But then also the person before you who did that to you sort of did the same thing. And so it really kind of like takes out the the choice in, in the entire chain. Right. I mean, it's really just a, a bunch of people sort of reacting within these frameworks that were completely handed to them with no control of their own. Um, yeah. I mean, like, so I, I don't necessarily know if it was meant to be kind of like an existential horror more than a familiar horror, familial horror. Um, but it certainly has those elements there as well. Do you guys think that the dad or that Francesca were acting out in vengeance with Charlie? <clears throat> I think the dad probably was. I don't think, uh, I don't think Francesca, I don't know if she has enough apparatus at that time to really even conceptualize vengeance. I don't know. I mean, yeah, like when she was he young. did just drag him into the barn and then let his daughter just use him as a plaything. Was that an act of vengeance or was he just like, mm, like I see. what was his like what was his deal? <laughs> I well, can't I kinda, figure him out. I kinda I can't even wonder if he was aware of that. Like because like for the after after the point at which um uh Francisca's mother gets murdered, like you really sort of see him as being kind of like this distant, uneffectual, you know, like non-actor, right? And just in the way that Antonio was unaware that his mother was in the barn when it was kind of like that, like maybe the father just had no idea, you know? I mean, it's it seems like that uh, Charlie or whatever, it was kind of like left for dead in, in a way. Um, I think he just so I thought know. he killed Charlie and then just walked away from it, and then she'd just been using him as a plaything ever since then because he was chained up, I believe. And Yeah, he, he was totally chained up right there in the middle of the barn, right? Like if anyone had walked in there, it would have been totally obvious. But and I, I and I think it's also I, I think it's also implied that she did the work of his wounds, yeah. uh, uh, Francisca, because she she obviously does it again, a second time, right? So and it's the same wounds, the same cuts, the eye, the throat, and everything. So yeah, you got to wonder like how much, yeah, like how much her dad really knew, uh, how much of a plaything he was for her. 
even to that extent, like I, I kind of wonder if she was joking or not whenever she said she was the one that killed her father, you know, like I, I don't, we didn't really even talk about that, about how she said that to that uh, Kimiko girl. But um, I, I, I don't know, like it, it's hard to really sort of parse out if she actually killed him or not, or if he just sort of like died of natural causes and she, you know, took care of him or whatever like that. Um, anyway, just kind of like as a little side point there. Um, yeah. About it the seemed like she wasn't very aware that he was even dead at times because she was bathing him and and begging for him to be you know more responsive to her and it almost came across as she didn't quite get that he was dead like that he was just completely turned himself off from her well that's that's an interesting point too because i mean the fact if if um well obviously i think that's 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 a part where you really do start to see the work of loneliness showing through very clearly uh in my opinion um but if if her sort of need for a father figure is just the presence of a, a male body in the, in the room or in the house or whatever like that, you know, if, if she's not really kind of like expecting that kind of like warmth in return, because he seemed like he was completely destroyed and completely shut down by the trauma. And so maybe that's just her sort of bar for a human interaction is just this sort of non-actor kind of <laughs> like being distant there. guy. Ugh. That's yeah. so horrifying. That sucks. You got to wonder if, like, he was closer to her as a dad when he was a corpse. Right? You know? Jesus. Like, at least she was cuddling with him and stuff when he was on the couch. When she that's was right. And maybe that's what made it okay to, you know, dig up her mom, too. She was hanging out with her dad's corpse for quite a while. And I don't think she – it came across to me she was fully understanding that he was dead. So maybe she didn't have a real concept of what death even is. Um yeah, I, I can know. see. I, I can see, like in her mind, the corpse at the dinner table, and she's like, "God, he's so talkative tonight." Yeah. <laughs> Jesus, God. When when he had a heartbeat, he was so much more quiet. He won't shut up now that he's dead. You know. <laughs> yeah, the bar set so low, you know, for her, which is very interesting. By the way, one interesting thing with Charlie, the serial killer, um, she asks him. Francisca asks him later. She says, uh, "Why us? Do you remember that? And do you remember what his answer was? Because you let me in." Very mm -hmm. similar to the strangers. What, it, what? Why are you doing this to us? Because you were home. Like that. Let that scene in the strangers was the is the most chilling quote in any horror film to me. I remember watching it, just getting the fucking hair on the back of my neck standing up, and I. He said something very similar in this. Why'd you do this to this? Because you let me in. Terrible. Yeah, I mean, Terrible. The, the thing is, is if you actually look at real studies of true crime and serial killers and stuff like that, um, almost the verbatim all the time why they choose someone who they decide to rape and attack, they made eye contact with me. That's what a lot of them say. And you guys want to wonder why women won't look you in the eye? because we know that serial killers say that all the time we're just That's like true. no thanks i'm not looking at anybody in the eye now because i might be inviting you to do something really truly horrible yeah, um you've but you've got to be very careful to uh, make sure and let the right one in if you will <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's why whenever that's why whenever I'm in an elevator and a woman looks me in the eye, and the first thing I say to her is, "Well, time to die." You know, that's it's the first. You asked for it. It's now. just you know what it, it it's gonna make gentlemen. If you're in an elevator and a woman looks in the eye, just get that out of the way. It'll make them way more comfortable. No. All right, it'll make them way more comfortable. Um, yeah, yeah, no, don't don't do that. That's that's bad advice. Uh, as you can see, as the as the film says, loneliness can do strange things to the mind. Uh, no, pandemic Noah. This this was not the film for Noah in, in during the pandemic to watch. Uh, see, I'm referring to myself as a third person. That's how we're already going. The psychosis is starting. Yeah. You saw some of yourself in this, and you were like, hmm, <laughs> am I? 
why am I into this girl so much? I'm finding out about my kinks today. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, the what if you asked the question? It's because you're like, you guys thought she was hot, right? I mean, like, hey. yeah, yeah. The eyes. I'm gonna, I'm gonna title this video "The Eyes of My Mother: An Analysis of Kink, Necrophilial <laughs> Kink." Yeah. Oh Jesus. I, I, we, we are, we are so not gonna be on YouTube for much longer if we keep up with this. Um, <laughs> Yeah. Um, all right. So let me. Uh, let me. So here's a couple things I didn't like about this movie. I, I. 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 I like most of what's in this movie. What I didn't like is the lack of change in mood. Um, so the movie is. But I get why it's like that too. Like the her mood throughout the uh, Francisca's mood and face and everything throughout the movie is very flat, very flat affect. But I got the sense that the film kind of felt like that too. Like the pace is very static. There's not much action up and down. There's not, you know, everything's very similarly paced throughout the entire film. Um, this is one of those movies, no redemption, no catharsis, similar to Martyrs only in that sense. I think this is a way, super, way superior film to Martyrs, but it's similar in the sense that there's no cathartic release. There's no redemption or anything, but I think... The way I the way I describe that being a problem in Martyrs, I think is less of a problem. I'm more forgiving in this because I think I they were, I got more out of like there's more to chew on I think in this movie than there is in Martyrs, so I can kind of forgive a little bit of the lack of redemption and catharsis. Um, I would have liked and this is kind of weird to say I would have liked a little more time with the parents, um, and this uh, to me I think would have solidified maybe a little bit more of their influence over Francisca, maybe given us slightly more insight into her aberrant behavior. So maybe just a little more time with her mom, maybe not her dad so much. Um, but definitely more time with her mom. Um, so the other thing I was going to say, um, the, we, we mentioned the truck driver at the beginning. Um, one of the things that bothered me about that is like throughout the movie, it's hard. There's a lot of jumps and it's hard to tell the who's, well, not whose perspective, but like the storytelling part of it is interesting because at the beginning you have this single shot perspective and it's the truck driver, but then you have these third person perspective throughout the rest of the movie. So it's like we're witnessing the stuff going on in her life, but then we get a first person thing. That was just kind of weird to me at first. And it's only like one scene that really felt that way to me, but it was just, it just felt like a little bit of a jolt. Um, and I think that's it. I mean, for, for the most part, um, this, I, I felt like most of this movie, the art house part of it was very well done to me. I, I, I'm interested if you guys think this sort of movie, if this movie or a girl walks home alone at night, like which of those feels superior in terms of being art house horror? I'm very curious where you um, land on these. I, this is exactly where I was going to go with what I disliked about this movie. Um, I liked the, the feel and look of it, but I liked it better when it was a girl walks home alone at night. Um, I liked some of the uh, elements of the people trapped in the barn and that it seemed pretty horrific. She, you know, pops her finger, but I've seen better stuff in uh, The Woman and in The Ring and a whole bunch of other freaking movies that have done these kinds of feels a little bit better, in my opinion. So, like, it, it kept coming across that way. It's not a bad film. It's just that every element of it, I've seen it done a little bit better from another movie. And so it just made it almost feel a little bit like it didn't go to the place it needed to go to. It kind of was like having an okay-ish <laughs> orgasm. Where you're like, I had an orgasm, that's cool. But it wasn't like, you know. Woo. It wasn't a girl walks home alone at night sort of orgasm. I mean, exactly. Jesus. Yeah, I gotcha. 
that's that's interesting. I mean, I think I maybe got a different tone from you guys term it that like I, I wouldn't necessarily compare it to that at all. Like I don't I don't um I get it. Uh obviously like they're both in black and white. They have like a lot of kind of like well, I, I don't know. Like I I don't I hmm. Okay, let me let, let me let, let me let me throw think, let, let me say this. Like okay. let me let me give you the positive affirmation like as opposed to just just the negative. Let me give you the positive. Like I would compare this more to Hagazusa to be honest. I, I feel like it's a lot more like that than it is the girl walks home alone at night. For the for the isolation piece for the the woman who's in, like all, uh, like thematic. The oh, okay. For all the parallels, I mean, like obviously there's no dad figure, but early on, like the entire first act of the three act structure of the movie is that uh, like you have this um this woman whose mother dies at a very young age. She's left alone. She has no idea how to interact with the world. The people around her seem like largely well, not not hostile, but distant in a way. Like you know, there's just not not a lot of emphasis put on the interaction there it's just kind of like her and these things sort of happening to her until she eventually kind of does something that sort of makes her break um even in the way that they portray violence like obviously in hagazusa there are a couple places there where it's like incredibly violent but it's not really kind of like the overall tone of the film even though when they do whip it out like it's it's incredibly potent you know the violence just really sort of uh, is emphasized because of the lack of violence in most of the uh, the rest of the movie. Um, and obviously it's not shot at, like in the black and in black and white, the way that this one is, but I mean, just thematically in terms of the parallels and the types of trauma and the focus on the next generation and how they have a kid and like what that kid means and what happens, like how yeah. in cases they kind of end up getting sacrificed to the mother's trauma in a way, you know, I mean, it's like, they're, they're very, very, very similar in a lot of different, uh, different ways. Yeah, thematically, you're. I completely agree, hundred percent. I think in terms of like being an art house movie, though, I think that A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, the monochrome visuals, the art stuff, the the, the way certain scenes are shot. So more like cinematically, I would make the comparison to A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. Do you think but, this one was shot in a way that makes it kind of like a western? Because I don't know that I saw those shots either. More like definitely on the noir side. Well, I, I definitely think there is some Western elements to this film, just because of the way it opened up with the with the truck driver driving towards. We're seeing it from his perspective, and then we move to a different perspective. A lot of westerns will have an opening act that's kind of bizarro like that to kind of bring you into the story, which I know could be jolting at times. But that is sometimes how westerns be like. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of westerns start with a body, like a person le shot, leaving a town, falling down, right? But I, but I, Ben, I totally see what you're saying. Yeah, and um, like even, even from that element too, like I feel like it leans more closely toward full core because in full core you always have this, these crazy ominous shots of like the giant fucking forest. You know what I mean? Just like in The Witch, you get a lot of that. You know, it's, it's a lot of the, the wide panning shots, but it's more like you're in the mountains in the woods as opposed to, you know, the, the, the setting of the American West or whatever. Um, so, yeah, yeah I, I mean, there's I, a lot of very specific things that they did in A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night that aren't, like, technically the exact same thing. I don't know, like, I'm really fucking nitpicking here. I, you know, I get that. <laughs> I, it's, it's more it's, like it's art not house just the black and white. Um, It's not just the black and white, though. It's also the uh, the way the actors are um, not at the, well, at least the main person is not very animated with how she behaves. It kind of reminded me of the main character from Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, where she really? seems, yeah, like, just the... I mean, she she's a lot music, less though. awkward. She's, she's way more cooler. And she yeah, also totally. knows how to I mean, dance and listen to music. So she's way cooler than she has passion. She has passion. Like I think right. that's but the she's difference still is kind of muted in how she like reacts to how people like when people are doing something to her, she isn't like ah like most Yeah, she has a mute affect. Yeah, she has a very mute affect. I, I would agree with that. So it's it's not as like scream queeny as some uh, I would even say most horror movies uh have a 
protagonists act and behave. They're, they're usually, or antagonist. I don't know who you want to call either of these girls because <laughs> they're kind of protagonist, antagonists. I don't know. Uh, but anti-heroes in a way not even really anti-heroes yeah i don't know i don't know what you would call them that's uh, th this has got to be like a, a thing that's becoming more and more common though in stories because even with uh no country for old men and all that stuff we have these characters that are the main characters but they're truly horrifying but they're also kind of cool oops <laughs> and, <laughs> and you're like why do i like them oh i'm i messed up maybe um but i i do think that they're much like No Country for Old Men too, it's a little bit muted in how they behave about things. Um, they're not as, uh, you know, there's not a lot of catchphrases too much, but when they do say mm. something, it's like, all three whoa, those, what? All three of those things are different though, uh, completely different. So uh, the main character in A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, I see her as being guarded because she they, they devote scenes to showing her inner passion and then show how she keeps herself distant from the rest of the world on purpose because she's a vampire mm -hmm. um in no country for old men i think they're leaning into that john wayne kind of affect a little bit stoic kind of flat voice um that sort of thing uh which is a totally different kind of thing than this where francisca is completely open it seems like um <laughs> and she's just like she's so blunt yeah, I mean, she's, like, so blunt about the fact. She's like, yeah, I killed my father, you know, whatever. She just says mm -hmm. this shit and has no reaction to it, even though other people are horrified by that's what, you know, she's like, you know, oh, yeah, well, my mother died, my father's dead, and this other person's kind of, like, trying to empathize or whatever. She's completely out of the open and completely vulnerable. She just has no affect. And that's so, interesting. Like, there's, there's very, very different. You know I feel like there's, there's a lot of subtlety up. between those three different there's... types of mute affects. There's a really important aspect of that. Since you are saying that the beginning or the, the main process of this movie is to show like our traumas are kind of hidden away. Uh, and that's, that's what it's a metaphor for. This is exactly what it's like to go through trauma though. This is why uh, I've, I've made jokes about this, but I'm being completely honest. I kind of like to have friends that are also broken like me because there's a lot of times where I bring up my trauma and you know people who have not been through some of that shit are just like what the hell and you're like oh no it's fine <laughs> yeah, yeah. oh shit that was uh maybe too much for you <laughs> it's just so well that's why you're that's why you're friends with ben and i i don't know if you guys know this but we're actually ben and i are live streaming from shira's barn right now where she keeps us <laughs> um yeah have video games in there though they love it <laughs> but like it's it's true though like when it comes to um, how that response is from her, you know, she's trying to open up to people, but you can't open up to certain types of people because they won't understand the guy in your barn. <laughs> There's not gonna be yeah. I think you're right. I think there are major distinctions between all three of these characters, but I think they're all bound by isolation. I think they all are reacting to isolation in their own ways. I think that um, uh, two of the three are socialized and in very odd ways. So the vampire in A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night is socialized. She has social skills, very, uh, very good social skills, actually. Um, but she is guarded and knows how to use them, whereas Francisca has no referent. She just is open. That's totally true. 
true. When that girl comes over, I hey, killed my dad. Let's kiss. You know, I, I mean, to some that's hot, but uh, to others, it's not. I'm not speaking about myself at all. But, um, but uh, you know, and then, uh, you know, Anton Chigurh in, um, in Old Men, uh, s- similar things there too. I think there's a whole separate set of motives for him. He, he's more, I think, sociopathic. But one of the things, it's interesting you brought that, that movie because one of the things that movie did really well that was also in this movie is showing showing the not showing there's tons of violence in no country for all men but there's one in scene in particular at the very end of the movie where he kills the main character's like girlfriend or his wife and you don't see it you just see him walk out of the house and look at his boot implying that there's blood on it and i remember that messed me up that was like i was like oh that is so messed up and it's very similar in this movie to when she's wiping up the blood of the woman coming over you know it's what you don't show. Um, and then in terms of Hagazusa, Ben, I mean, clearly you should not be homeschooling your kids. That's what we learned from Hagazusa, too. Isolation, being home in a countryside is bad. It's bad. It does bad things to the mind. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, the mitigating factor in this movie and in all of the ones we've been connecting is really the idea that loneliness does weird, fucked up things to the mind in its own different ways. Um, that we're social creatures, we, uh, a huge part of ourselves, even, I'm sorry, even, I hate to say this to the introverts, even if you don't like going out and you're super introverted, a part of what makes you who you are is how you see yourself in light of X relationship, Y relationship, who you are as a student, a, a brother, a sister, a son, a friend, you know, there's, your role is not in isolation ever, right? Which is why when we put people in isolation chambers, when we put them in cells in prison where they have no interaction at all, they go crazy and they claim it's worse than physical torture. Um, because you, the mind just plays tricks on you. You, you, there's something evolutionary about it, right? Um, which I think this movie kind of gives us a very interesting, aberrant picture of what goes wrong. Um, you know, if uh, if you're not if you're not uh, well, if you're homeschooled, clearly. Um, hey, so this whole movie was shot in 18 days, which is pretty wild. Um, whole movie was done in 18 days. Um, one of the things I was very interested in, and this is somewhat similar to A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night, was the music. Um, so the music that is played a lot in the background of this movie is a type of music called Fado music. And uh, Fado rep- uh, translates into Sad Destiny. And it is a genre, a Portuguese genre of music, uh, traced to 1820s Libsyn, Portugal. And it's characterized by mournful lyrics, mournful tunes. It's often about the sea or the life of the poor. Um, and it's infused with sentiment of resignation and melancholia. So it's not happy music. And that's what she's like playing all throughout her day. No wonder so- she's so messed up. This is like another message. Don't get homeschooled. Don't listen to emo music all day. Clearly, I was homeschooled and I listened to radio uh... a lot. Well, this is why this is why we're chained up right now, Ben. Like now we know why we're in this damn barn. Jesus, I need to back up for a second. Did you say 18th century libs in Portugal? Is is that what you said? <laughs> 1820s in Libsyn, Portugal. Yeah. Oh, in Libsyn. Okay. Libsyn. Right, right. Yeah. Jeez. Owns the libs. That's what they should have called it. 1820s <laughs> owns the libs in Portugal. Yeah. Yeah. Ben Shapiro. Ben Shapiro was born 200 years ago. He'd be born in Own the Libs in Portugal. <laughs> Jesus. All right. We're all over the place. Um, yeah. I mean, so so do you guys have any other thoughts? That's all the thoughts I have for the film. I, I mean, I can rate it, but do you guys have anything else you want to add before we go into ratings? Or are you guys good to just start rating it? Um, I, I think the only last thing I wanted to really point out is I there, there's a lot of these movies where women are abducting. 
And then there's a lot of these movies where men are abducting. And it seems like the men abducting storyline has to do with um, either obviously objectifying women, uh, wanting to have lots of women caged up below. You know, we had uh, Kevin from Sid City played by Elijah Wood with his glowing glasses. That was a horrifying bit. Uh, there was a couple of movies in the late 90s that had Morgan Freeman. I think there was like two of them that Morgan Freeman was in uh, where he's hunting down these these types of people. Uh, there's just, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of these movies that the guys are doing it just to own a woman or the, the collector from 1964, I think it was 1964. Uh, that one is where he is a banker. Uh, he's got a house. He's finally got all the stuff he needs, but he doesn't have a girlfriend. What is he to do? Oh, I know. I'll stalk a girl and, and just put her in my house and she'll eventually fall in love with me because that's normal. <laughs> like, well, it's how I, it's how, yeah, it's how I, that's why I'm married. I did that exact same. Yeah. <laughs> like there's, there's, it, seems, it feels like whenever it's a guy, it's because they're trying to get a girl or like trying to win them over or, you know, maybe wear their skin like in a, in a silence of the lambs. But um, I don't know the girls. It just seems like they're just into capturing uh, anybody and killing them. I don't know. <laughs> I, I feel like I feel like women definitely serve as a template for having more complex reasons for abducting and torturing people. Like with men, you know that at least a, a good part of the reason is because they're thinking with their balls. And they got balls and they got nuts and they're thinking with their nuts and they're torturing with their nuts and everything's about their nuts. With men, it is all about the nuts, always. With women, um, it leaves more room for like, um, I, I think more complex reasons. I mean, there are obviously stories about men abducting women that are that are uh, have a significant amount of complexity to them. But I think with women, it removes that sort of like very, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Very like testosterone driven mentality and all the desires that come about because of that. And with women, I think when you have women torture, so think of audition, I mean, it allows for things like revenge, a very type, a very interesting type of feminist revenge, at least in audition. And there's a sense in which it provides a template for an almost more insidious kind of torture, that it's about other things. It's almost simplistic and naive and kind of like dull at this point when serial killers, um, you know, the Morgan Freeman-esque movies, and I know exactly what you're talking about, Kiss the Girls and movies like that, where it's like, like, I clearly, I got to go save the girls. This guy is raping them, holding them, and whatever. But, like, can you imagine Morgan Freeman from Kiss the Girls trying to go save the dude from audition? He'd have opened the door and been like, I'm out. I can't. This is not for me. I mean, he, this is the dude in Seven. I don't even think he could handle uh, her from audition. So, yeah, I mean, I think it. I think women torturers, women serial killers, there's almost a more, there's more fun, I think, directors and writers can have with them because it allows the motivations to be more expansive. You know what I mean? I think initially. You could probably do the same thing with men if you were a thoughtful writer-director, but it seems like in horror, there's not a lot of those these days. So. Wow, is this one way that, uh, you know, writers have toxic masculinity? They can't write uh, more in-depth male uh, abductors? Like, that's... I, I, that's a challenge, right? Like yeah, let's yeah, let's fix that. Totally. I mean, and so, so and I mean, and there's been some that do it these days. Saw is more complex than just fucking. There's, there's, um clearly political and, and ethical reversals and saw. So there are, there are people doing that today, but it, the nineties was just in early two thousands was just terrible for that shit. Terrible. Every other fucking movie was about, you know, capturing and owning and raping and you know what I mean? Um, so I, I feel like we just got bored with that as a genre. You're right. Like, I think horror just got bored of that. 
You know what I mean? And we're like, oh, let's let's think of more fucked up shit, you know? <laughs> and then it somehow had women in it. But you know what? I think that's one of the reasons why The Loved Ones was interesting, though, is that that is a woman just abducting guys because she's thinking with her nuts. Yeah, and she, not only that, if you remember in The Loved Ones, she tries to remove his nuts. Remember, she's about to nail his penis in the seat. If you guys haven't seen The Loved Ones, it's super fucked up. Australian horror movie, woman, yeah, it's... But, I mean, she, she's like, oh, you know, look it. And she, he's just like, you better pee. If you don't pee, I'm going to nail... And I'm just like, oh, for sweet mother of God. Like, I, so I think it, it gives you that kind of fun, you know, when you have a woman torturer, you know? You get to you get to not only it's not only not about the balls you get to like mess with the guys who have the balls which is to me that's horrifying that's scary. A little bit of a flip. Mm -hmm. uh, it, honestly, yeah. I, I had never seen anything like that um, flipped like that, and it it was that was a, still a fascinating one. I think I like that one a little bit more than this one, but I don't know. It's so hard because that one is just. It, it holds a dear place in my heart because it really messed with me. There were so many parts that I, I was uncomfortable, much like Antichrist. And to turn away, I couldn't watch anymore. I was like, oh, Jesus, when is this over? But then in a way, I had to show a friend right afterwards, you know? <laughs> yeah. Like, The Loved Ones is a much more fun movie. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a lot more funnier. I mean, this is a very somber, melancholy sort of movie, this movie, right? Eyes of My Mother. Um, and I think The Loved Ones is more visceral, fun, enjoyable, disgusting, right? Like, this is more thoughtful, art house, um, fuck with you late at night when you're going to sleep. I don't know. To be honest, The Loved Ones did that, too. That nut scene where she's about to... That, I, I, I hate to keep harping on that, but that was like, I could feel it. I was like, oh, God. I was like, holy, I had a cup. I was like, oh, duh, shit. But, uh, you know, so, so there's... It was essentially a flipping of the power dynamic. That's why it bothered you so much, man. It's because she was trying to take away that power. Totally. Exactly it's visceral. It it's it's evolutionary. It's the caveman thing. But yeah, I mean, it's... It... Once again, that didn't... They didn't show that. They... That's the right. The way that oh, the God, camera was God. angled, you didn't actually see her about to do that. And I think, once again, this goes with why this movie worked for me at least, uh, is not showing and making my imagination go, oh my God, why? Um, because I think we're all just a little bit more messed up than what these film creators could be. Well, Ben more than no one else, everyone else, because in Ben's yeah, movie, Antichrist, there is penis damaging. Yeah. Like, and you see it full frontal. Fear. In Antichrist, Fear. the guy comes blood in Antichrist. Yeah, I've got to say that, that that moment of actually visualized viscerality is quite a bit more potent than any sort of Hitchcockian thing that I've ever seen. Maybe it's Mars it's really well. kind of... <laughs> well, I think it's... I, I think it's to be frank, no pun intended, it's the it's the organ that I think makes it so visceral, I think. Like, if it was the arm, I can see not showing a cutting off an arm and showing the person's face and showing their pain being more visceral than showing the actual cutting. But with a dick, showing the actual damage it's to the penis, oh! It's not even just that, though. Like, I don't even know if that part is is as bad as when she does it to herself, in a sense. You know right? I mean? oh, That's yeah. right. That's, that least, one was worse. <laughs> at least that was equal opportunity, you know? Yeah. yeah. Lars 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 don't say Lars, Lars isn't a feminist. <laughs> yeah. Don't, don't don't be shitting on Lars, people. He's equal opportunity. You're gonna you're gonna hit the you're gonna hit the vagina. You're gonna hit the penis. He was like, we got to do this fair. Come here, give me the scissors. You know? Oh my god.
God, that movie Hang was on. seriously messed up. Seriously, you guys gotta watch Antichrist. I'm sure we'll have a blurb about it. It's one of our one of our one of our most viewed podcasts now, by the way. Oh really? Antichrist. Yes, it is. One of our our most viewed podcasts where Maybe we all just people are too afraid to actually watch it, so they're just like, let's watch someone talk about it. <laughs> I was for years. I I was afraid to watch it for years. I I only watched it because it was a, a selection on the podcast. But I'm very like I'm very glad I did. It is a fantastic movie, and I'm glad I have it under my belt. God, no pun intended. But uh, like it, it, yeah, and it's it's great in what it does show. Let me ask this question then, because I, I get this from a lot of um, you know older people who don't like so much of the violence. They usually ask me about horror movies. Is there a lot of blood in this one? Is this a is this a really overly violent one? I think I'd have a hard time answering that question with this film. Would you consider this a bloody violent film or not? That's a really good question. That goes back to the thing that uh, I said to Ben and kind of our conversation about like, you know, man, I remember this being way more violent than I thought. And I, I led Ben to think that. And then I'm like, well, it's not really as violent, especially for Ben. Like, Jesus, like, this was like probably like <laughs> fucking rated G for, for yeah, your I selections. <laughs> Jesus. Um, but yeah, like I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pick this, um, for someone who says, Hey, I want to watch a horror movie, but, um, I'm not, I'm not keen on a lot of violence. I would not pick this. Um, because I think the violence is so heavily implied and so done so well. And you see the aftermath of that violence. So with so much gravity that you might as well be watching it. Um, you know, you, it, it, sometimes the violence is in the aftermath. It's not in the action. Right. And this movie is a keen example of that. Um, I think that it would mess someone up who doesn't want to see violence at all. So I would not choose this as a film for them to see at all. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Then I, I think I think we've pretty much established this is probably a violent film. Um, maybe not as. I, visceral, I would say I would say sure. go watch Martyrs. Go watch Martyrs. Yeah. <laughs> no. Much less violent no. that one. No. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm like I'm like just having flashbacks because i watched both of them and they were both so violent <laughs> yeah oh when God. i when i uh so i i watch horror movies with my wife she has a lot of friends and so when they ask like hey i've been asked that basically when we go out like i know you like horror movies like i want to watch a horror movie but i don't want to watch one with a lot of violence so i'll typically pick um movies like babadook more, more cerebral horror films i think I don't pick like conjuring style ones, even though those don't, they're PG 13 and they don't have a lot of violence. I just don't think they do a lot of, I want people to see really good, well-made thought out horror movies. You know what I mean? So I would go like, what do you guys think? If someone says to you right now, I wanted to go, I want a good horror movie with not a lot of violence or even no violence. Um, I would probably say, um, I would probably, I was going to say it follows, but it follows has a lot of violence in it. Um, Babadook is the first one that comes to mind. Like, what are some other ones that we've covered? Well, I couldn't do uh, Come and See. That was no. <laughs> that was really well, it, it's definitely going to have to be like Creep. Creep. The first one, yeah. kind of, because you only get to the very end. But also maybe like Shaun of the Dead, because it's kind of violent, but yeah. also it's couched in comedy, so it doesn't feel violent at Zombieland. all. Zombieland. Like, well, right, yeah. Exactly, <laughs> oh, Zombieland. Exactly, yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah, maybe they just have to have elements of comedy to, to help relieve our dear friends it, it really is all about the framing the lens with which you view the violence is is what determines whether or not it seems violent i which guess which is what know? we learned from this right? movie about yeah. the lens oh shit ben. Yep. fuck that, that was beautiful yeah somewhere somewhere the director's watching this going they got it they understood it's all about the lens <laughs> you know Love interesting it. all right well uh let's let's rate this movie and score it i thought this was a pretty good movie um 
I probably will watch, I've watched it twice now, so I'll probably watch it again. Um, so it does have rewatchability to it, which is pretty rare with horror movies, I think. There's a lot of horror movies that I'm just like, okay, I watched it, I'm done forever with that one. Um, but this one feels like it's very rewatchable, like there's things I might have missed, I've got to check this out. Um, but it, I don't know, it's, it fucks you up. I have to be in the right mindset, because it is a little bit dark and sad. Um, and it gives you that own, your own element of loneliness and sadness inside. And, um, so it, you have to be in the right mindset, but I don't know. I think I'll watch it again. And I think I'll give it a 3.5. It was, it was a pretty good film. I liked it. Definitely recommend to, uh, people that want some sadness in their life, need something dark and sad. Yeah. Pandemic, you know, style. If it's not sad enough for you, watch the eyes of my mother. There you go. I mean, for me, I think I, I probably enjoyed it a little bit more than that. I mean, I, I do really sort of like the art house films, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there, there's a lot that I really enjoyed about this. And because, I mean, you really can kind of dig into, I mean, again, like, I think the main thread of the story is probably pretty clear. But there's still, like, enough that you can just sort of keep circling and going around that thread and thinking about it that it becomes a really interesting movie to watch and to think about. Um, and I, I just to go beyond, I think, a little bit of what we've already talked about. I mean, it, it is kind of interesting to think that... Um, you know, so much of your perception of yourself and, and not just the perception of yourself, but the actual construction of the self relies so much on views from other people, right? Like, and we were talking about how we have like social context and how that helps to shape our lives a little bit and ground us, um, but also to allow us to deal with trauma a little bit more effectively, you know? I mean, yeah, don't homeschool, right? I guess that's, you know, I mean, we keep joking about that, but I mean, it's, it's really important to be able to kind of ground yourself in connections with others because that allows you to sort of, um, move past, I think, the past and uh, and uh, kind of like move on to sort of like a better future, no matter what you were handed down uh, as a child, uh, you know, regardless of the sort of like familial uh, kind of like baggage or like the baggage that you pick up along your life, there's a way that you can make that burden a little bit easier just by kind of um, finding yourself in other people in a sense. So there's a really cool sort of like thing to kind of dig into with this movie. Um, and it was incredibly well shot. I really did enjoy the cinematography. I wouldn't necessarily compare it to, to some of the things that has been compared to today, but I definitely understand the, like the, the comparisons and the, and the perspective. I mean, the fact that you see so many elements from so many great films in this movie, I think is a good thing. Um, because they do blend together quite well. It doesn't really feel like you're watching any of those films. You can just recognize it and see, wow, you know, I mean, they really sort of like brought in these cool elements and blended them together in a way that makes uh, kind of like a unique piece of art. Um, so absolutely fantastic. Um, I think I'm going to give this a uh, four out of five. Um, highly recommended. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I, I agree. I'm going to give it a four just like you. Um, I think that this movie is well shot. It's it's very pretty. It's one of those movies that's gorgeous and profane. It is gross, but just beautiful. And um, there's something to be said for movies like that that do that well, right? Um, I think doing it in monochrome was a good idea. I, I There was a big criticism for a lot of people that was like, oh, it's trying too hard because it's monochrome, but I think it adds a full, the flatness of that is like the, in conjunction with the flat affect we see in the character. I think it plays a role as almost a character in the movie and the, the, the cinema style and the monochrome dynamics of everything. I mean, it all kind of comes together and makes sense to me. Um, but 
overall, this is a movie with a lot of meat on its bone. It's a lot of interesting things to discuss about socialization and loneliness and familial habits and rituals. And it's got like stuff we talk about on this podcast in very distinct ways all throughout other movies. Um, all like we have movies that are just all about familial stuff, movies that are all about loneliness, you know, and this movie kind of like jumps a little bit and Jack of all trades it sort of, um, which I think is, is, is cool. Uh, I'd give it a four out of five definite recommend. Um, and if, if you like movies like this, but it's not violent enough, go watch Antichrist. Uh, the, you know, it's like I, they're, they're flip sides to the same coin. I think in this movie, it's what's not shown as a part of the violence and an antichrist. It's what's shown that is the, the massive part of the violence. But I think that they, they feel similar in some weird ways to me, it's just very strange. Those movies seem to make sense and connect in some ways. I don't, I, so I'll just leave it at that. Um, but I, I, I really like this movie. I'll definitely watch it again. Four stars. It's definitely flawed. It's not perfect. Um, but, a, a definite recommend considering just the hodgepodge of, of shit that's out there in the horror genre. This is, this is one to watch. It should be on everyone's like top 50 horror movies ever. I, I think. Um, but, uh, yeah, so those are my those are my thoughts. So uh, three and a half and and two fours. Um, well, hey, if you enjoyed uh, watching our us talk about this horror movie, give us a like, subscribe to our channel. Uh, we are on uh, Instagram, we're on Facebook, we're on Twitter. A little bit on Twitter. Twitter's mostly just for arguing, so we're not on Twitter that much. But we're on Spotify, iTunes, SoundCloud. We're everywhere. You cannot escape. The Deadly Analysis Podcast. Um, if you do, we just chain you back up and put you in the barn. So um, uh, check us out on all of our social media avenues. We'll see you guys in a couple weeks. Um, if there are any other movie recommendations, maybe art house horror films, ultra-violent horror films that you would like us to watch, we already did Martyrs, okay? It was your recommendation, all of you, and we watched it, and we did it, and I vomited seven times, like, during the fucking movie. Um, so if there's anything else like that, something that feels like this, let us know in the comments below. And uh, we'll see you guys in next week for our next podcast. Take care.